Welcome to the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring and starring Richard Sherman. And we're presented by our good friends at DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook app, where for the second straight week, all you have to do is sign up with uh, promo code PFF for a chance to bet $1, $1 to win $100 when any team makes a three-pointer this week. So basically they're giving you a hundred bucks. Go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and get your money right now. Today, we just have a great episode with Buffalo Bills General Manager Brandon Bean. He's got a few well-deserved bones to pick with PFF. Uh, and we talked about Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and the way the new salary cap's going to impact these veteran players, a lot of different stuff. But I also took a few well-deserved shots for my lack of digital skills. So I'm going to go ahead and play the introduction that I tried to play <laughs> during the podcast. This coming from Mike Renner from PFF naming Brandon Bean as PFF's Executive of the Year. It's postseason awards season, and to me, there's no more obvious postseason award than Executive of the Year, and is Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills. The job he has done in rebuilding this roster into a legit Super Bowl contender in the AFC is nothing short of incredible. And everyone likes to glorify the draft and draft picks. And yes, he knocked it out of the park with Josh Allen and his improvement this year. But what Bean did in terms of building through free agency, guys that anyone could have signed, is nothing short of impressive because guys like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, John Brown, Cole Beasley, these guys who Daryl Williams at tackle this year, playing out of his mind, they have built this roster through guys anyone else could have signed anyone could have had these guys and they could have played well for you but Brandon Bean recognized the talent recognized that they'd fit well in his scheme and all these guys are playing exceptionally well a lot of these impact players that they got here on Buffalo were not drafted by them we're drafted by other teams Brandon Bean saw that all right guys here we go we've got uh, the great Richard Sherman on as always and now we have PFFs executive of the year and i don't know what better way to do this because pff needs to make a little come from behind love here for brandon Bean. uh it's pretty good more than i deserve it's uh <laughs> it's funny uh pff all the back and forth we've had over the years with uh where josh allen was selected and uh, and how josh allen has performed so i uh, appreciate that chris Oh my gosh richard this thing has started from way back when right this is draft day and Josh was, you know, in college, he had a little work to do on his accuracy. He had to get better at that part of his game. And his first couple of years in the league left a little to be desired in that part of his game. And then this year, he comes out and just puts on a show. I mean, I don't know if he learned how to check the ball down. I don't know exactly what happened, but he was their running game. He was their passing game. Uh, he said all the Buffalo Bills records over Jim Kelly and all the great quarterbacks that have been there. And now Brandon is PFF executive of the year. We've been sucking up a lot this year, a lot. <laughs> you got some making up to do. Oh, yeah, we do. I know. I understand that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's grown, I mean, exponentially each year. Um, and and I remember I used to watch the tape and, you know, because we didn't play him very often. Um, and I, I, I hadn't played him um, at all until this year. And so, you know, you hear the criticism, you, you hear all the inaccuracy, the, the this, the that, he's a running guy. And then you turn on tape this year, this is the only year I played him. So this is the only year I studied him. Um, and you see, he's slinging the ball around the yard. He's, he's hitting him on the run. He's creating extra space. He's, he's moving the pocket. His O-line is giving him protection. They're max protecting him. And he's hitting people with dimes, bombs, underneath, over. And then Diggs is working with him. Diggs is extending plays like he knows how, like, even when he's covered, he says, bang, and adjust. And then him and uh, Josh are on the same page. And it was it was really cool to see. And then we played him, and he was doing everything. He was doing – he wasn't just tucking it and running. He was he was, he was was scrambling to create more time for his receivers to get open. And that's, that's the difference between um, what he was doing this year and what he had done in the past because in the past he just tucks it, puts his head down, goes, gets the yards that he needs. Now he's like – he's doing what A-Rod does and what we talked about before – is, is creating more time in the pocket, giving his receivers more time and, and hitting them with dimes. And that's, that's I mean, it's been tremendous growth. I thought he had a shot at the MVP, but, well, I mean, with the way A-Rod was playing, it was, you know, nobody was getting him. Hey, hey, Brandon, can you hold up the football, though, that I signed for you? Can you? Uh... <laughs> All right, here is the, uh, the great ball, Chris's signature. Uh, what, what does it say? What does it say on there? 
a PFF never had a doubt uh, about his greatness. <laughs> Love Chris Collinsworth, number one. So, uh, it's a good footrest for me on my floor here. Chris. There we go. That's exactly where it should be. That's exactly where it should be. Well, hey, man, congratulations. Seriously, this is uh, it, it was an amazing turnaround to go 13 and three. Now, for me to remember the Buffalo Bills being great is no big deal because they were great when I was playing against them at the end of the 80s and we played against them in the championship game and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for you, you were in high school at the time? Yeah, yeah I was in high school. Uh, and, and, and what would you have remembered about the Buffalo Bills from those days? Seriously. Well, the comeback. You know, I remember uh, I think I was a sophomore, junior in high school, and I was watching that game. I remember we were in a, a buddy's basement. We were playing ping pong down there, and the game is out of reach. We were watching it for a little while, and um, we're playing ping pong, goofing around. And next thing you know, uh, the Bills are making it a game uh, against the Oilers. And, you know, you sit there and you, you find yourself not – you know, I wasn't a Bills fan, but when, the, when a team's coming back like that and you feel the momentum, all of a sudden you're, like, cheering them on. And uh, Kelly hits – you know, BB and uh, Andre Reed and, and all those. Well, actually, it was uh, Frank Reich. I was going to say it was Frank, um, but Reich's leading them back. And then I think, you know, uh, was it Christie that hit the, the game winner? Uh, I think I think Norwood is gone. I think it was Christie, maybe. But all I know is I missed it. I turned it off. I was watching a college basketball game while the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL was going on. I, I never even crossed my mind to go back and check the score. I never even thought about it. That's it's crazy. I grew up uh, a Washington Redskins. I know they're the football team now, but uh, so that's the only other thing they played, you know, they played the bills in one of the Super Bowls uh, when Mark Rippon was a quarterback. I think they played it in Minneapolis, but other than that, uh, didn't follow the bills uh, until I got in the league and you're tracking them, tracking players and things like that. But that's obviously a great run that Marv Levy and, and Jim Kelly and Bill Polian and, and those guys put together. And one that's been unmatched four straight. I know they lost them all, but uh, to go to four straight is, uh, is pretty darn hard. You know, Brandon, the only uh, person you have to be concerned taking your job uh, is the guy that's on this podcast. No, not <laughs> me. Richard Sherman is a definite threat to all general managers in the National Football League because he comes hard with his GM opinions. And I can't wait to hear what Richard thinks about the Buffalo Bills and where we're headed in the future here. Oh, I think they're in a great spot. I mean, shoot, you got you got um, big play Trey. Um, you know, they have a great defense. They have a great um, leader in the middle of their defense. They got a young um, explosive defensive line, uh, you know, got a few of my Stanford guys in there, very underrated guys who make huge impact um, on offense. They have a really great offensive line, um, underrated running backs. Their receiving core, I think, is underrated, and, and, and they made huge plays for them down the stretch in the playoffs. Uh, and obviously the quarterback, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's paydays coming up, and, and that changes every dynamic for, for everybody, you know, when the quarterback's on the rookie deal. Um, you know, it gives you the greatest chance to, to be successful and, and to create the strongest roster. But, you know, he'll 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 be getting his uh, hundreds of millions soon. All right, all right, Brandon, I've got one thing for you, though, because if you happen to sign Richard this offseason, I'm just saying everything's a possibility. He's talked about many times how he's vacationed in Buffalo and he likes to go through folding tables and, and dive down. So but if you were to sign Richard Sherman this offseason, you would have. Tredavious White, who I think was valedictorian of his class. Yeah. And you would have Richard Sherman, who was salutatorian of his class. You would have two resident geniuses playing the cornerback position for the Buffalo Bills. And I'm not saying that's what you should do. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. Well, no doubt. It, um, I would be worried about my job. I'm already worried about Trey taking it. So uh, <laughs> uh, adding Richard in here, uh, they may be, uh, they may be second guessing everything I do, rightfully so, because uh, you definitely uh, there's always some decisions when you sit in this seat that down the line you go, man, if I had to do that again, I would I would do it a little bit differently. But uh, that's not the way it works. There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks as watching you guys play, Richard. Uh, same thing in my seat, as you know, and I'm sure you're one of them second guessed. 
probably John Schneider a few times, John Lynch a few times, and, uh, you know, wherever else you land this year, uh, you'll probably second guess that GM as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of it's all part of it's just like it's just like when you're a GM and you're you're sitting there and you see a player making mistakes. You're like, why the hell did he do this? And just why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you just catch the damn football? Like all you had to do was catch the damn football. It wasn't a hard job. That's what I got you to do. But I mean, it's just part of um, I think sports in general. You know, somebody always has um, a criticism or an opinion and uh, you always, you know, <clears throat> the failures that you have are always much louder than the praise. Um, and I think that's what, what motivates a lot of us in this industry, some way or shape or another, um, is some criticism that pissed you off, that wakes you up out the bed every day. And it's like, this son of a gun, like, is going to get it today. And I'm going to prove him wrong. And PFF might have been your wake up. <laughs> you know, they might have been what was pissing you off all the time. Um, oh, all the time. They, 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 they've you're been welcome. Me for years, Richard, uh, what a shitty job I've done. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to, to get the uh, executive of the year, uh, I didn't know if uh, if somebody paid them off for me or what. But, uh, maybe they felt bad for me. No, hey, no, hey, they didn't feel bad. No, no, we have no heart. Trust me, we have no heart at all. They're zero. Shoot, they used to they used to dog my kid when he was playing at Notre Dame. So believe me, there's there's no mercy ever shown whatsoever. Love it. I, I, I do want to go back, though, because this was such a fantastic year, and we'll talk more about Josh in a minute. Um, but there are so many moves that you've made over the last couple of years, uh, but probably none better than Stefan Diggs. Other than Tom Brady, it's hard to come up with a free agent sign or trade, I guess, in this case, uh, that had a bigger impact on your team. But I had talked to you a little bit before some of the playoff games and the other games we did of your guys uh, this year. Take us through a little bit of the Stefan Diggs trade and exactly what you were thinking going into it. Yeah, Chris. Um, so th that actually started, um, as I was explaining to you, in, in the middle of 19 season as we're approaching the trade deadline. You know, going into that year, we had added Cole Beasley and John Brown. And we had some early success, but I felt like people were starting to figure out how to play us a little bit. And we still needed another weapon for Josh to throw to. And so we looked at some receivers. And um, matter of fact, the 49ers got one of them, Emmanuel Sanders from Denver we were looking at. We were looking at, at Diggs in Minnesota and Muhammad Sanu and, and maybe a couple others. But none of them worked out for whatever reason. Either we didn't offer enough or – they wanted to trade to an NFC team like like Denver did with Emmanuel to, to the 49ers. But and then with Diggs, we did a lot of recon just in case Minnesota was willing um, to part ways with them. But they were in the middle of a playoff run themselves and, and were not willing to, to part ways. But we did our all of our background on him. And after the season, as we're approaching free agency last year, when this went down, you know, Steph put a tweet out there just you know, something, I don't even remember what it was, but, uh, you know, about new beginnings or something like that. And so we checked uh, with, with the Vikings. And at that point, it was a different conversation. It wasn't, hell no, it was, we're not shopping him, but we'll, you know, if you really want him, you know, what would it be and, and think about it. And so that conversation started maybe around four o'clock. We had a couple conversations in between and around 9.30, 9.45 that night, we got it done. So it's, it, Richard, it shows you how quick these things can happen. I didn't wake up that morning thinking we were trading for Steph Diggs, but fortunately we had done all of our background on who he was and um, you know, what type of person, what type of practice player he was, uh, how professional he was, anything like that. And, and not everything had been perfect for Steph in Minnesota. Um, but we felt comfortable that bringing him into our culture, that he would be a fit. And, and fortunately for us, uh, he was. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, he made a freaking, I mean, he broke every record there is to break, it seemed like. And he, he was the receiver that I think you guys needed. Um, true number one, uh, made a, a lot of huge plays. And I think he's a bit misunderstanding. I think that's the frustrating thing in this league sometimes is that, you know, people can take clips, oh, sideline, oh, he's getting upset. It's like, <clears throat> it's the guy that's not getting upset that should be concern you. You know, the guy that's getting getting their ass kicked in, in, a, in a ball game and not getting frustrated and not <clears throat> showing any energy, you know. There's different ways to skin a cat, but 
I think at the end of the day, he's a hell of a competitor and he's a guy that, that you want on your team and that'll fight, you know, tooth and nail to the end of the game um, for a win. And I think um, you guys made the right move, but that's crazy. I didn't realize how, how much that went into it. Like his tweet affected the whole decision. You know what I mean? Affected uh, who, who would have ever known that? Uh, I, I didn't ever think that. Um, I mean, obviously guys tweet and, and things like that have an effect in, in positive or negative, but that's crazy that it kind of started the dominoes. It's, it's crazy that social media is, you're right, you're right. Without social media, does, does that move happen? And, um, you know, some of the other things that we see going out in the landscape of the world these days with, with various players, but no, I mean, I do, the one other thing that you got me thinking about when, when you reiterate what I said about being competitive was what I kept hearing being described was like, this guy practices harder than anybody. He raises everybody's level. And the guy we had in Carolina, Steve Smith, was the same way. Obviously, Steve was an emotional player, sometimes uh, maybe misunderstood. But uh, the one thing I never saw was anybody in Carolina ever practice harder than him. And, and that was a great thing. Adding Steph this year was he raised the tenacity. And, and talking to Trey White, like him and Trey White, the whole training camp, like pointed each other out in one-on-ones, like you versus me. You're not going against anybody else, and I'm not going against anybody else. And uh, it was great camaraderie, yet great competitive. You know, the whole DBs versus receivers. I mean, there was a lot of people down there watching that drill. And I'm talking about end of the season because those guys are just kind of raising the level of practice, which is which which makes us all better. Right, right. When it when it when it becomes like that, that's when you know it's championship culture. Because then then you know, as everybody says, practice is harder than the games because those guys know you best. Those guys know your every move. You gotta, you gotta freaking adjust on the fly. You gotta find a way to beat a guy who knows everything about you. And then when you get into playoff football, it's the same thing. But it's, it's like, hey, I have some tricks in my bag. I have things that I've been working on because I've been going against the best guy I could be going against every damn day, and he knows my shit. So once I get to this point, I'm over here, you know, and and I, I can see it. You know, I can see it when we played him. I can see um, how Stefan had evolved in his 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 release package. Um, his sales, his ability to, to, to continue a play when he's covered. Um, and, and the same with, with Trey, you know, I think, I think he got better this year. You know, obviously everybody looks at the interception numbers and like, Oh, he didn't have as many interceptions, but inter- interceptions are like opportunity. You know, do I get an opportunity at the ball? You know, it's not like you, you know how many opportunities at the ball you're going to get. Um, but I think he played um, fantastic just as well, if not better than he did the year before. And he had, and I think it's because of that competitive environment. It's a good thing he didn't have me as a social media account manager there. It wouldn't have been nobody would have ever seen it. Uh, so let, let's go a little bit into the Josh Allen deal. I mean, because people forget that they may remember that you traded up to get him, but what they probably don't for, remember is that it was a sequence of two trades. You guys had two number one picks, I think 21st and 22nd that year. You made one trade up with the Bengals to get to 12, if I've got it right, and another trade up with your other first round pick to get to seven. Now, was that all part of this master plan? And because two-step processes don't always work, right? I mean, give me a little of the history of that. Yeah. Um, So I got here right after the draft of 17, and we had Tyrod Taylor here at the time. And so we wanted to assess Tyrod and see where he was. And um, by middle of training camp, we kind of felt like weren't sure that Tyrod was going to be that franchise quarterback that, that we wanted. And so we said, hey, we've got to try to get some assets. So we made some moves, um, traded Sammy Watkins, traded Ronald Darby, uh, traded Marcel Darius, um, Reggie Ragland to Kansas City. And what basically I was trying to do was go into that 18 draft with as many draft assets as we can, because you can't predict where you're going to finish. You know, you don't know how many, and that year we snuck into the playoffs at nine and seven. And, and then we had uh, the chiefs first round pick uh, and they made the playoffs that year. So we, we finished after the 17th season going into that draft with the 21st and 22nd pick. And you're like, all right, how are we going to get one of the, you know, one of these top guys and so as we're going through that spring process of working these, these rookie quarterbacks out and getting to know them, uh, made the move. We had Cordy Glenn, and so we used him to go from 21 to 12 with the Bengals and was just trying to get up into the top, as close to the top 10 or into the top 10 
by the time draft day got here and, and then decide where we wanted to go to get Josh Allen. And so it, it works out. And, the, and when draft day got there, we pretty much figured out that Baker was going to Cleveland. The Giants uh, were not going to take one, uh, even though it was late in Eli's career, they, they went with Barkley. And then Darnold goes to the Jets. And so Cleveland had the next pick, tried to make a trade there, um, but they wanted you know future ones, didn't want to do that. And then I worked a deal out with John Elway at five, but John, right before the draft started, Chris, um, to go up to from 12 to five. But John told me, he said, listen, Brandon, there's a player that if he falls to us, I would keep the pick. And I didn't know who it was, but I knew it wasn't a quarterback. Well, Bradley Chubb falls to him. So as soon as he's on the clock, he calls me and says, hey, Brandon, Chubb was the guy we, we were after. So – at the meantime, you know, I've had Joe Shane, my assistant GM, and a couple of guys working other teams. Well, got on with Jason Light, and Jason and I went back and forth. We hung up one time, called him back um, because Indy was six, and, and Ballard was taking Quentin Nelson. He, he was like, I'm not moving. And so Jason and I went back and forth, and I had I traded him both twos, which was more than the trade chart would say to do, but um, – really wanted Josh. And so that was the final move to go from 12 to seven. Yeah. He's a, he's such a, a nice young man. I mean, right. He's, he's one of those guys that always has a smile on his face um, and has sort of endeared himself, I think, to the community, the whole thing with his grandmother uh, and then all the donations that were made uh, in his grandmother's name to the local hospital and, and the, it's quite a love affair going on in Buffalo right now between quarterback and and uh, the community, the Bills Mafia, if you will. Um, but it, I don't know if it makes your job any easier or harder <laughs> exactly what it does, because you've got a tough call to, to make coming up here. You know, you do have the fifth year option on signing quarterbacks. We've seen a couple of quarterbacks this year now already that have been traded when they were signed early to big money contracts uh, and Carson Wentz and, and Jared Goff. So what's your thoughts now moving forward? You've got a shortened cap. You probably only have 175 million to work with this year because of what, what happened with COVID this year. Uh, what, what's your thought going into it this year with Josh? Yeah. I mean, I think we're definitely, uh, we got the update last week that, uh, so the cap is going to be 180. It may go 181, 182. I don't know, but, uh, it's still a much lesser cap. We were all pre preparing for 210 to 215 to kind of be the number for this year prior to COVID. And so we definitely have some work to do. But Josh is a guy that we do believe in. And we would, you know, definitely take a look at, at him later this offseason. You know, right now we'll focus on our, you know, our up upcoming free agents plus anybody we would want to add and then the draft. And um, generally, you know, what I've done here is, look at guys to extend once we get through the draft, see what our money is like, see how we could structure it to fit not only this year, but the years beyond. And I think one of the things that I'm going to want to look at is what are, what are things looking like for this year? Let's say in May, does it look like we're going to have 75% in the stands, 100% in the stands, and just try and see if we can predict what next year's cap's going to be based on a new TV deal, fans in the stands, just to know how we would structure his deal if we were to do something this year. But we have the fifth year option. If we can't make it work or we don't have a good clarity on the cap, we pick that up to protect us going into next season. Yeah, you, you've got other decisions to make as, as well. Probably the one that sticks out in my mind a little bit is Matt Milano. Uh, he obviously is one of those cover linebackers, Richard, that you know, he can, that can make a difference. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before to have a guy like that, but he also has probably earned the right to go test free agency a little bit here. Um, but he also has had some injury concerns over the year. I think he played 10 games, something like that for you guys uh, this season. What's your thoughts on Matt? Yeah. I mean, Matt's, uh, uh, Matt's a great story. Um, you know, similar to Richard being a fifth round pick, Matt was a fifth round pick. And uh, Matt was a converted safety to linebacker and, and really worked his way 
Uh, didn't start much, was more of just a role player's first year. Uh, but going into his second year, really started developing into, into a matchup linebacker and, and has, you know, has really helped Leslie Frazier with this defense, being able to, to match up with, with either a tight end or a back or things like that. Um, he has earned the right to go to free agency, as you said, Chris, and, and we think that's fair for him to see what his market is. We'd love to have Matt back. Um, you did point it out. I think probably the biggest thing Matt would tell you, too, is he's been frustrated that he hasn't been able to play 16 games, you know, in a season. And, you know, this year he, he had another setback for us. So it's, it's figuring that balance out of, of how to get Matt to be able to play 16 games and, and, and what's that worth. But uh, nothing but positive things. We, you know, really appreciate what Matt's done for us. And, and if things can work out, we'd love to bring him back. But, you know, we'll have to see what this market is. And some teams are going to have more cap space than we do, which could make it easier for them to steal them away from us. All right, we'll get back to Brandon and Richard in just a second. But first, we're going to tell you how you can make yourself a little cash on DraftKings with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. They're giving new players a chance to win $100 for just a $1 bet. How are you going to do that? All you have to do is put in promo code PFF when you sign up, and you can then bet $1 to win $100 on any basketball team to make a three-pointer in any game this week. How easy could that be? Just go take a hundred bucks and just use the promo code PFF, right, George? It's so easy. We were joking that um, you could get PFF analysts uh, to try and make a three-pointer and you'd still get the hundred dollars. <laughs> if you had long enough. <laughs> if you had long enough. So um, you should definitely take advantage of it. It's like the draft. I'm telling people the draft props are where you could make a ton of money. So if you take advantage of these offers, you will have a little money to invest and um, then you can really come out uh, ready to rock for the summer. So go make that happen. If you don't like, you know, basketball, it's fine. There's plenty of other stuff. There's hockey. They played outdoors in Lake Tahoe on NBC um, this last week. Soccer, there's the UEFA Champions League, tons of stuff to go bet on. And the best place to do it is at DraftKings because they make it as easy to deposit money as it is to withdraw. That's not the case everywhere. Promo code PFF at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $1. Any three-pointers made, you get $100. Very, very easy. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. It's only for new customers. Restrictions apply. Winnings are paid out in four $25 free bets. Those can be draft props. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Virginia, 888-532-3500. All right, now back to Brandon Bean and Richard Sherman. You know, Richard, I, I was so interested to hear your take because this is a rare circumstance where you get a general manager on one line and a free agent player on the other line. I don't know officially what you are now, but you're a free agent. I'm tired of debating all this stuff. So Richard's going to be going and playing for somebody else. But on the other side of it, you're having to deal with this $175, $180 million new salary cap. So in a year where maybe you would have gotten your two-year deal to finish your career, if that's what you're looking to do, maybe this is a year you got to take a one year. And would you even want to sign a two-year deal knowing how much less money is involved this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting for guys, you know, because uh, you know, like I said, I played 10 years and, you know, made enough money to, to, to make a decision, educated decision on it. Um, and, you know, if it's not right, there's no reason for me to go out there and, and sign and, and, and chase anything. You know, I can I can I can walk away and, and, and wait and see if things get better or go do something else in my life. Um, but I do I do have a question um, for Brandon, because I think that it's going to create opportunities for for like super teams, you know, quick soup, because they're going to be so many so many high quality players that are cap casualty guys, you know, I, and, and you're starting to see it now. You're starting to see guys slowly, but surely get cut and, you know, to create more room. Um, and I think you'll continue to see that. What do you see that landscape looking like? Um, and this is a question for Brandon um, it, and the long-term effects of it, because that's, that's what people are saying. People are saying, man, it's going to be a bunch of one-year deals, but one-year deals are immediate cap hits you know, two year, three year, yada, et cetera, et cetera, are, are cap hits that you can kind of manipulate and extend out and, and kind of play with. Um, what do you see that uh, effect on the, the cap this year and, and deals? Yeah, uh, good question. I do think 
uh, whether it's a one-year deal or like you said, there may be some two and three-year deals, but they're really one-year deals. Um, it's just so people can spread that money out. And, you know, I do think people, if you look at Tampa, what they did last year, um, you have to give Jason like and Bruce Arians a lot of credit. They, once they got Brady, you know, he, he kind of recruited some guys on his own and just naturally the presence of Tom Brady is going to do that. And I think they, they kind of went for it and, and added some pieces. You, you get a Fournette, um, obviously you get a Gronk and just some of the other pieces that maybe they don't get those if they, if they didn't get Tom Brady and, and they got those guys that probably reduce salaries, you know, and so maybe that happens to where a couple of players say, Hey, I'll take less for this one year, or maybe I'd sign a two year Richard, even though it's really a, a one year deal. We, you know, I'm not coming back at that number next year. It's a high, a high number. That's it's really just spreading that signing bonus out. But um, at the end of the day, I could, I still think it will be a lot of one year deals, but it may, it may be structured like you're talking about two and three year deals. And it, it does open itself up for two or three teams like the NBA to get some guys um, that are out there, didn't get the number they wanted and just said, you know what, I'll go sign with a contender, see how it goes, and then try and go back to the market next year. It's, it's all so interesting. People sort of ignore the business side of this game, but it's, it's becoming so much more that, teams are winning championships in the off season as much as they're winning them uh, during the course of the season. There's a couple of questions that always come up around your football team. One of the comments that were made uh, after the season was that you guys really feel like you've got to get better running the football. Um, all my guys at PFF, which I know you hang on every word that they're going to say, but uh, they, they, uh, they all really believe that it has more to do with the offensive line than it does the running backs. You've got a couple of young running backs in there and Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. And so there'd be a temptation. Oh, we need a good running back. We need to go. Uh, the flip side is you can go our offensive line. If we end up better in the offensive line, then our running game is going to be better as a matter of fact. Uh, you really hit on Daryl Williams last year. That was one of the really impressive, I think, free agent uh, signings uh, uh, last season for you. Came out and, and played very well. What do you think the shape of this offensive line might look like a season from now? Yeah, I mean, uh, we do have some guys that are up. I mean, we, we have Mitch Morse back at center. We extended Deion Dawkins at left tackle last year. And um, Ike Budker played at left guard for us down the stretch and, and, and did a nice job. He'll, he'll be in the mix. Cody Ford, we lost him uh, midway of the season. Um, he's, he's still rehabbing from a shoulder and, and, and a lower ankle injury, but hopefully Cody will be back in the mix. He played his first year at right tackle. Last year he was playing guard because Daryl, uh, we had signed Daryl and, and Daryl kind of, we were going to rotate him originally in camp and Daryl just really solidified it over there so we moved Cody inside uh, but we'll, we'll definitely have Cody back Daryl's a free agent you you know similar to Matt Milano we'll have to see um, Daryl's gonna you know get more than what we paid him last year on, on the one-year deal he, he's earned that right and uh, John Feliciano who, who we signed two years ago from the Raiders um, who had kind of been a fifth sixth lineman for them wanted a chance to start came here started the whole 19 this past year he tore his peck in camp missed um, the first half of the season and then played for us down the stretch. He's a free agent as well. Uh, so we'll have, you know, we got some pieces, Chris, that we'll have to see if we can get back. If not, to your point, uh, it's very important for us to protect Josh Allen first and foremost. And secondly, uh, try and get that run game going. Yeah, and Josh became a big part of your run game as the, as the season went along. Um, I, the one thing, it's interesting to me when people go, and become more accurate as a passer. We talked to Josh a lot about, he changes mechanics. I mean, I think it was Jordan Palmer. He was with Jordan Palmer, right? Yeah. Didn't he do some stuff with him? Yeah. Is that, are there guys out there now that have that ability? In other words, can, can teams now look to find the Josh Allen body type, right? As, as we go forward, knowing that these guys can retrain their mechanics and we can make them better and all that sort of stuff. 
Because Josh clearly now is a different player than the one that came in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to uh, look at a lot of factors. Um, what What is this? You know, it's like when you when you draft a player, sign a player. Is he at his ceiling, or what? What is it? And then, you know, in Josh's case, Josh didn't grow up going to all these seven on seven passing academies or these quarterback camps, or um, you know, some of these guys are starting this in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And, and Josh played all sports, worked on a farm, small high school, no offers goes to a junior college, tried to still play at Fresno. They didn't want him coming out of high school. They didn't want him from the junior college. Finally gets an offer from Craig Bowl at Wyoming, goes there. And if, if he doesn't get that offer from Craig Bowl, we probably don't know about Josh Allen in the NFL. We, we probably don't see him. Um, and so what, I, what that told me in watching him is this guy hasn't had the, the high-end coaching that some of these guys get even in high school and then obviously going to some of these major universities and playing. So felt like there was a lot of room to work with. Now, does he have the makeup? Does he have the DNA that he wants to be great at his craft? Uh, you know, look at Richard's career, how, how Richard didn't just naturally come in as a first round pick and light it up. He, he worked his butt off and, and every year was better at his craft. And, and I think that's what we saw in Josh is a guy who knows he's got a lot of untapped talent and every person you talked about him says this kid works. He wants it. He's a competitor. He's a leader. And you felt that presence about him. And, and I give him a lot of the credit. Every offseason, um, he has gone and worked with Jordan Palmer. And he's not, you know, running to, you know, Mexico or to all these resorts. And, you know, this guy wants to work. And I think he gets the most credit. Obviously, Jordan's helped out. Brian Dable's done a great job. Ken Dorsey. Um, who's been our quarterback coach the last couple of years, all those guys get a lot of credit for Josh's progress from a rookie to 19 was better. You know, he went from 52% to 58%. And then this year, you know, right at 70. And I think Josh gets the most credit, but there's a lot of hands on this. You know, Richard was the same way. He played wide receiver and then converted. So it's interesting that how guys like you can find okay, who, who's not there yet, right? I mean, Richard, talk about that. How, how much different were you as a cornerback two or three years in the league with the coaching and the training you got than what came out of Stanford? Oh, I was tons. I, I mean, it's night and day. Um, and it was in college. It's, it's, sometimes it's everything Brandon talked about. It's, it's coaching, it's culture, it's experience. Um, in a, a lot of my college career, you know, I played receiver for, for the first three and then redshirted my junior year and then played corner. But the first couple of years, they told me to, to play off, you know, and when you're 6'3", trying to play off coverage, you know, consistently, uh, it's just it's just putting you behind eight ball. Like, you can find a way to make plays. You can find a way to to, to understand routes and, and, and guess right, you know, and, and be where you need to be. But it's it's my comfort zone was impressed. And if your coach is literally telling you not to press, you know, it's, it's not going to be your best take. And Luckily, Seattle was able to see the, the limited reps that I had when I had press coverage and I was able to, you know, show my talent. And then I got to Seattle and they said, I don't want you to do anything but press, press everything, press every single opportunity you get. And when you don't, but to the sideline, open up and, and read it like you read it, because I, I wasn't as comfortable pedaling because I always felt like my wrong foot was in the ground. And so when I got to the league, they allowed me butt to sideline. And so I can always have my foot in the ground. My foot is always in the ground. I, I feel like I always got to reach uh, the quarterback. I got to feel for the routes. I can see the whole field. Um, so it really changed my game. And, and it, they just allowed me to do everything I could, even my stance. When I first got there, I used to have this super crouched, low stance, you know, because in college, they're like, get low, you know, make sure you're low. And I got to Seattle and Pete came up to me. He was like, stand in a stance you could stand in for two hours. And I was like, well, I can't stand this low for two hours. So I'm, I'm going to stand pretty, pretty <laughs> upright, you know. And when I got in that stance, he was like, that's your stance. Now go cover. And it just changed. It, every, it, it's the small details like that where nobody even thinks, like, maybe this guy shouldn't be that low in a stance. You know, maybe that's not when you're 6'3". Maybe you don't need to be in a stance of a guy who's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, five, you know. And small things like that really made a huge difference in, in how comfortable I was and how consistent I was play in and play out and it really allowed my talents to shine now Brandon who is somebody on the team now that that nobody really knows about that you think is going to be a superstar you know I don't know um 
somebody that's going to be a superstar, but, um, you know, a guy that plays your position, Dane Jackson, who was a seventh round kid out of Pittsburgh, um, due to Josh Norman had a hamstring a little bit, Levi Wallace um, had a couple injuries, and then we had, they missed games for like close contacts with COVID. We, we started him uh, on the practice squad early in the year and then brought him up. And every game he played, he had, you know, one or two interceptions, I don't remember, but every game he played, uh, his instincts are very good. You know, nobody's got to, you know, your instincts are very high. I'm, I'm not comparing him there, but he doesn't have all the measurables. He's, he's got some height. He's got some some straight line, but uh, not necessarily stop, start quick, you know, quicker than fast or anything like that. But uh, he's a young man that, uh, you know, we believe will be able to compete to start next year. We're obviously going to bring in competition for him, but he's a guy we got high hopes for as, as a young player that showed us it wasn't too big for him, and he's got a. Some guys, as you know, they just got that that natural feel for the game. You can coach guys all day long. You put them out there, and some guys just feel routes or can read that quarterback. And, and he showed some things in the. You know, I think we got him in about five games this year. Wow. That's, hey, that's hey, Brandon. One of the things that I find interesting with your team, and and obviously every team now has to begin looking at really hard choices, right? Uh, potentially, this two hundred twenty million dollar cap is going to be considerably less. Um, and in reading some articles about your team and and all that, it's like everybody seems to be speculating, you know, because you've got to do something with high price players. You can't just take a bunch of low priced rookies and do anything with it. You know, the Jerry Hughes of the world, the Mario Addison, they've got big deals, you know, that uh, do you guys need another cornerback and, and all the different things. How hard is this process right now? Because you truly have to go. These are guys that helped get us to the championship game against Kansas city and now I've got to start looking at, do I have to get rid of some of these guys? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's frustrating, you know, and, and I'm sure it's frustrating for players too. But, you know, as we went through this, you know, we're at 185, 186 million, somewhere in there. And so in a normal year, we would be in great spot to pay up to, you know, the 210 cap, not that we would spend it all or 215, whatever it was going to be. So a year ago, we had a great plan in place for – being able to continue to ascend this past season and add talent. And so to your point, Chris, now we got to relook at it and guys that helped us get to this championship game may not be able to uh, be on our team going forward that a year ago we had plans to have. And so we we're definitely going to have to look at it. We're going to look at, you know, our, what guys do we just have to outright cut? Are there some guys that we can maybe reduce their salary a little bit? And, and maybe it's a reduction to where they can earn some of it back. I've done those before. You take, you know, a couple million off, but you say, hey, you can earn a million of it back by playtime or, or, or another incentive. So we're going to have to try and be creative. Maybe there's a, a guy or two that we can restructure their deal, push a little money down. So we're going to look at all avenues to try and not lose too many players and, and still – add stuff and then obviously the draft is going to be very important not only for for us but a lot of teams this year finding that cheap labor and not missing on those picks yeah what it's also interesting that once again you guys have escaped without losing one of your coordinators i, I thought for sure you were going to lose one of them right a lot of rumors about dave old going to the chargers leslie with houston there, there were just but Richard, one of the things I found really interesting was that Brandon and his staff helped those guys get ready for the interviews in season with these other teams that were trying to steal their coordinators. Talk about that process just a little bit, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, we're it's it's such a uh, and, and I want to actually talk about this, but it, it's to me it's really tough to ask these guys, this is a dream job for Brian Dable or Leslie Frazier or whoever for a hick, just like it was a dream job for me to get in the seat I'm in. And as much as we don't want to lose those guys, we still want to root for their success. And so what I wanted those guys to be able to do was focus on the games, whether it was the Colts, 
uh, week one because uh, Dable had three or four interviews after that game, or Leslie had an interview after the Baltimore game with Houston, is try and give them as many nuggets about that team they were interviewing with so that they could focus on the game that we're trying to win to advance to the playoffs because it's – to me, it's – it's an unfair process. You know, I know there's, there's a lot of opinions out there, but uh, personally, I would love to see the hiring backed up so that, you know, you're trying to win this game. You work all year, May, June, July, August, you know, all, all this time. And now you're, you're having guys have to think in the back of their head, I don't want to lose this opportunity with Houston. If I'm Leslie Frazier, I want to make sure I'm ready for that interview yet. I got to get ready for the Baltimore Ravens and stop Lamar Jackson. And so I really hope the league will continue to look at moving this thing back to whether it's after the championship games or, or after the Super Bowl. I know that's a long time, but uh, I, I'm at least going to try and ask for them to, to look for it after that so that these guys don't have to worry about it because the other part of that is sometimes it guys that lose in the game get the head coaching job and the guys that win don't because teams get tired of waiting. And I don't think that's fair. I mean, you look at some of the guys, Todd Bowles, um, Byron Leftwich, you know, some of the guys in, in that made all the way to the Super Bowl, Eric Bieniemy, like those guys might've played too long to get a head coaching job. And, and I don't think that's fair either. So uh, it's definitely a subject that I hope the league will really take into consideration this year uh, because Leslie Frazier, uh, he deserves a head coaching job. Brian does too, but we really thought Leslie was, you know, when we lost that game, Houston, that job was still available. And it just, it sounded like he was the right man for the job. And I was very surprised. We're, we're glad to have him back, but I was disappointed for him personally that, that he didn't get that. And, and, you know, the same thing for, for Brian, I think we just won too many games. Some of those jobs that Brian interviewed for, they were filled before our season ended. Uh, it can be it can be just so tough and, and so unfair. Um, a, a couple of guys just that, that I wanted to bring up uh, for a minute here. Uh, Cole Beasley at the end of the year. And this kind of got downplayed a little bit. But, you know, his production wasn't quite maybe what it had been earlier in the season. He was playing on a at least partially broken uh, fibula. Is that right? Yeah, he had a I'm, – I'm obviously not a doctor here, but he had a, a crack um, right outside of his knee area there attached to his fibula. And it was – it's a non-weight-bearing type thing, but it's, it's still a, a, a painful deal. And it happened in that – New England game uh, at the very end of the, of the Monday night football game. And so he missed the last game. It's probably a three week injury that he played with uh, a little, you know, 12 days later and, and a minimum of three weeks that he played in that Colts game. And we really didn't feel like he was going to be able to go until very late in that week. You just saw the determination on Cole's face. And um, I don't know very many guys that would have played with that injury. Yeah. And for me, finally, just tell me about the quarterback class of this year. I'm going to say it's safe to assume you're not drafting a quarterback in the first four picks. So tell me about this class. Is this have a chance to be one of those epic classes um, of quarterbacks? Because we're starting to hear more and more that maybe this is a group that goes one, two, three, four. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a quarterback league. So if you think if you're up there, um, you only get to stay up there so long if you're picking in the top five, because if you if you're picking in the top five more than two years in a row, uh, somebody else is going to be making those picks. Probably uh, you don't keep your job. But uh, so I do think that's part of the pressure, Chris, is if I'm picking in the top five or ten and I don't have my franchise quarterback, am I going to get a shot to get one? And so you kind of feel like. I'm going to take my swing if it's one of these two guys or one of these three guys. Um, but, you know, Trevor Lawrence has obviously been talked about since a freshman and, you know, what he did at Clemson. He, I saw him live several times and, you know, he, he's been tabbed for a couple of seasons now as the first round, you know, the first overall pick in this draft. And then after that, I think it's kind of, you know, it looks like some teams may favor this player or that player. And, um, you know, 
on tape, it looks like some talented guys. Uh, the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, we had our rankings through the fall before we ever met, you know, Josh and Baker and Sam and Rosen and Giant Lamar and, and Mason Rudolph and, and all the guys of that class. We had our rankings in the fall, but those rankings changed as we met them. You know, we met Baker and Josh um, and Mason at the Senior Bowl. And then uh, some of these other guys, we met them through the spring process and just watching them work out, uh, watching them on the board, watching these guys um, just in various settings, whether it's around our owners, whether it's around people in our building, just getting that feel for them really um, swayed the order of how we wanted these guys because we, we really care, obviously, that they have the physical talent, but that they, all, they also have the intangibles, the leadership, the work habits that I talked about, Josh, and, and giving him credit for what he's done to improve his game. How much do you think like your time in Carolina affected like how you, you know, the culture, everything you learn, um, obviously coming over with Sean McDermott um, has affected like both how you evaluate players. Cause I'm sure there's some Carolina ties, obviously you brought Josh over. Um, but, but how do you think, do you think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, affects your decision-making or affects your process is, is the things obviously you learn there? Yeah, I think, you learn from from good and bad, and and like anything, uh, I try and you probably learn for more from mistakes than you do from uh, the things that worked. And there's definitely years that in Carolina, Richard, that I thought we were going to be better than we were. And you look back at uh, maybe we signed a couple of free agents that really weren't cultural fits. I mean, I know one year we let some guys walk, and we brought in a couple of guys that we paid. And I think there was some frustration in the locker room that, you know, maybe we, we let some guys go that, that were really key leaders or people that, that factored in the culture of the building. And people were upset about that and weren't as keen about who we brought in. So that's one of the lessons that I learned is talent is talent, but you also have to make sure you have the right people and the right leaders to keep your culture strong because it can one bad apple, you know, or two, a couple of guys can really uproot what you built. And, and I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned, you know, with, and I think Sean and I are on the same page is we obviously want very talented players, but it's very important for us to have the right fits that fit in this Buffalo community. And it was important when, when we got here, this is a blue collar, uh, get your hands dirty and I think that's why Josh fits. Josh grew up on a farm, and he, he, he told me that if he wasn't playing sports, that his dad had him out on the farm. So he played every sport he could, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I understood why. But those were just some of the main lessons that I learned that don't get caught up in always just evaluating the talent, but make sure it fits in the city and in the building of, of what you're trying to, you know, to build in your team. And Brandon, just for people who don't understand here, how does it work when you and Sean go in a room and to make a decision? Is there contractually somebody who has the final say? It, it, you know, there's inevitably going to be times you guys disagree, right? How does it work? How do you break the tie? Because there's only two of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean and I, we do a great job. Listen, there are things, you know, we set it up here so that, you know, Sean controls the, the 46 man, the game day. It's a good balance of there's certain things he needs to be able to take the, it's now 48. He needs to be able to decide the best 48 for us each game. He knows those opponents better than I do. And, and that's the right thing. The balance of that is, is I control the 53, but with that, I don't do any decision on the 53 without his his you know consultation or his input and you know I think that's the best way to do it and so do Sean and I always agree on everything no I mean I can tell you this I there's players that I've drafted that maybe I would have chose a player over them but the consensus of either my scouts one of our coaches or him maybe it's three to one maybe I'm the one I'm going everyone else says player x is the best fit for us and I think player y is if I feel that everyone else 
then I'm going, maybe I'm, I, maybe I don't have the right feel. And the thing that we tell our coaches and our scouts is once we make a decision, whether it's a free agent, we sign a player, we draft, we're doing it in the best interest of the Buffalo bills. And we're never going to always agree, but once we take this player, we're going to invest everything we got in them. And if you thought it was the wrong move, you need to hope that, that it was the right move and that you were wrong on the player and leave no stone unturned, whether you're the coach, whoever, to make sure we've done everything to make it work. Richard, I wanted to ask, and if this is too personal, just tell me to, to bug off here. But when a guy like John Lynch and you talk about your deal, right? And whatever you guys mutually agree, it's probably better to go on. What's that like, especially with a guy like John, who I know has unbelievable respect for you and your career. I would think vice versa. You guys are cut from the same mold. What is that conversation like? Um, honestly, it was fantastic. It was, it was, it, it was business-like. Um, you know, I think, I think the respect and appreciation and the understanding of, of, of both the positions we're both in um, and what we were able to accomplish all went into it. You know, when we first started the conversation, when I became, you know, when I came to negotiate the deal, um, it came from a place of mutual respect. It honestly came from a place where we were, we were at the Pac-12 championship game and Stanford was playing um, USC and they freaking lost. And we were just talking, just talking ball. You know, we weren't even talking anything, you know, free agency or anything because I was still with the team. I was just um, in a boot because I was still, you know, recovering from the Achilles. But we were just talking, you know, how strong the team they had and, and you know, the decisions that he's made and, and some of the cool things that, that have happened for him. Um, but when we talk contracts, it's always been, you know, an understanding. I understand both sides of it. I understand as a player what, what I'm expected to do, the things that I, that I bring to the table. Um, I understand him as a GM, the, the decisions that he has to make, the constraints that he's under in terms of the cap, in terms of other players' deals coming up, um, in terms of injury history, in terms of, uh, you know, just the future of the franchise. Uh, and so, so when we have those conversations, it's really not a lot of emotion involved in it. You know, it's, it's, it's understanding the numbers, understanding the impact. Um, and at the end of the day, coming to a decision that that's in the best interest of, uh, you know, for him, for the team um, and for me, you know, my future and my family. Brandon, I've got to think, and we've all seen the hard knocks version of those moments when you're in a room with a guy and you've got to tell him, you know, we don't have a deal for you this time from your standpoint, what's it like? Yeah, it's tough, and, and and Richard has a great head on his shoulder. You can tell just being able to – it's so hard for people, sometimes even in my chair, uh, to take your emotions out of it and just look at it straight business, and that's the best way to do it. But um, I, I always try and say no matter what, I'm going to be straight up honest with this player, whether it's a player that um, you say, hey, it's a guy you've had and all of a sudden you're in late August and he just doesn't seem to have his fastball anymore and it's time to move on. Or at the end of the season, if it's a free agent that may want to be back and you're going, man, I've got a younger guy that's that's cheaper that, I, you know, with the con, you know, with the salary cap that I'm just not going to be able to afford is shooting them straight of exactly what the deal is. And, and a player like that, you just say, listen, you, you've played well, you're going to get a nice contract. We're not going to be able to afford that. You know, and if for some reason you don't get the contract you want uh, or you think you deserve, then come back and see me and, and let's see if we can work something out, whether it's a one-year deal to, to reprove yourself and come back. And, and we did that a couple of years ago with Jordan Phillips, who signed with the, with the Cardinals this year. Is Jordan was a free agent after the 18 season and – I think he thought he was going to get more than he got. He, he didn't, came back, signed a one-year deal for four and a half, maybe four, six, and then went and got nine or nine and a half sacks. And then this past year, Arizona signs him to a three-year, $30 million deal. And so I think it's just, it's even though you they might not like what you're saying and maybe they're upset when they walk out, I've found that even when you see them down the road that they say, hey, at least I appreciate your honesty, even if it wasn't what I wanted to hear at the time. Brandon, you've been fantastic, man. I really appreciate it. Richard, I know you've got a workout that you've got to hit here, and so I don't want to hold either one of you guys up. But uh, 
Uh, we had to get on PFF's executive of the year, and it was a bit of a no-brainer choice, Richard, just so you know that. And uh, But Brandon, thank you very much. Congrats on a fantastic season, and we look forward to uh, watching next year. Awesome. Great to be on with you guys. Nice to meet you, Richard. Nice to meet you too, Brandon. Thanks for coming on. You've been a great sport. Got it.